Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com, TCBService.com, and Summit City Comic Con. Another episode of The Doctor's Companion. This is episode 48. I'm Scott Carelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And uh, this is the the last episode of the classic stuff before we we get into uh, New Who again um, with Randy returning as co-host. Oh, it's bittersweet. I don't think anything has ever been this bittersweet for me, personally. Wow, that's high praise. Yeah. Yeah, I really love watching these classic episodes. Of course, I've got my homework from you to watch during the break. Um, oh, yes. We'll come by I with spotlight w- reviews when we come back. We'll see what you got done. But, okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's my um, but, but yeah, that's uh, you know, there's a lot to look forward to with the Matt Smith stuff, so I'm, I'm you know, seven weeks of Moffat goodness. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to that. So Matt um, Smith but... will not be far from everyone's hearts. It'll be a good time. <laughs> Yes. Um, so God, go on, go on. <laughs> this is so. This is we're recording this after actually recording the bulk of this episode, which we'll be getting to in a minute. But we had uh, Alan Kissler on as a as a uh, guest co-host for our discussion of the Deadly Assassin, um, mm-hmm. and we just when we recorded with him, we wanted to get down to it and uh, get get everything um, out, and then we kind of. Uh, you know, just talked with him for a while after the show was over. So we're kind of this is late, and we're getting kind of, kind of loopy at this point. Um, Which is good because I'm much funnier when I'm loopy or not. Yeah, he um, well he he described it. He went and saw the Spider-Man musical and described it to us, and that was good times. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, it, it was. was uh, it was interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but we want to get business out of the way, so uh, this is a reminder that we're from the website GeekShowEntertainment.com, where we like geeky stuff, and occasionally we talk about geeky stuff, like mo- like uh, Doctor or Doctor Who on podcasts like this one. We also talk about movies, but that's different podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot to edit the script. Oops. <laughs> oh my god. Geek Show Entertainment. I really hope this isn't your first episode of this podcast. Geek Show Entertainment is a podcast network that has new episodes released every week for shows that include The Doctor's Companion, as well as Movie Night at Geek Show, Have You Met Ted, Queen Witch, A Couple of Geeks, and uh, Geek Show Soundcheck, and uh, Super Geeks, as well as The Geek Show with Scott and Matt, which will premiere June 1st and be the new flagship podcast for Geek Show Entertainment. You can listen to all those episodes um, and podcasts by streaming them on the website or subscribing to the shows on iTunes. Also, you can go to the website and join our community by commenting on episodes or articles that we regularly post on the site. And if you've listened to any of our shows and you like what you hear, even if you don't, help us out by leaving an iTunes review. iTunes reviews are the best way for people to find our shows and decide if they might be worth listening to. You can also let us know how we're doing with comments, concerns, and suggestions by emailing the show at tdc at geekshow.us. 
Um, we didn't get five reviews. No, but I have an announcement at the end of the show. A surprise oh. announcement that Scott doesn't know about. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yes. I like things I don't know about. I like surprises. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> because we didn't talk about them uh, during the bulk of the show, uh, I do want to remind everybody that we are sponsored by InStockTrades.com. And this month at InStockTrades.com, you can purchase our book of the month, Day Tripper by Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. And this book is available for only twelve thirty-nine or 38% off the suggested retail price of nineteen ninety-nine. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. And who else can we thank? Uh, we can thank DCBService.com. Uh, DCBService.com is the or DCB, DCBS.com, I guess, or DCBService.com, sorry. Uh, is the, I'm so tired. Is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, and anything else you can order from a local comic book shop. You place your orders three months in advance with a monthly discount specials up to, oh, let's say 75% off, which is pretty phenomenal. And uh, regular discounts of up to 40% off, uh, plus pre-order collected editions and save 50% off. Ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like. And you only pay $5.95 flat rate shipping, which is just... Just great. Uh, thanks to DCBService.com for supporting this episode and all the things that we do at uh, GeekShowEntertainment.com. So, there you mm-hmm. go. And how. Well put. All right, so let's uh, let's jump into our discussion of Deadly Assassin. Okay, well, uh, joining us today is uh, Alan Kistler, the comic book historian and agent of style for Newsarama, and uh, uh, definitely a Doctor Who fan. How you doing, Alan? I'm doing okay, and and yeah, I am. Uh, I'm a little bit into Doctor Who, you know. I dabble. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> it's a passing fan, like ships <laughs> in the night. Yeah, you know, I haven't like you know listened to all the audio plays and made notes on the novels. And I, I don't do that, like. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whenever we have a new person on the show, we do like to ask them how they got into Doctor Who because everybody has a different story, especially us Americans. Um, right. So uh, how did you get into the show to begin with? Uh, I would occasionally catch bits and pieces on uh, public television when I was a kid. So I got little glimpses of John Pertley and uh, Tom Baker. I definitely remember watching about 15 minutes of what I later would find out was The Pirate Planet with mm-hmm. uh, Tom Baker, written by Douglas Adams. And uh, the first adventure I really watched was one time I was just uh, up late and, and put on television, and there was uh, Battlefield. And and I got into it maybe like five minutes after the, the show began, and I figured like, okay, let's watch this. And I was like, oh, King Arthur, I dig this. What King Arthur and time travel? What... This is awesome. What what is this? And <laughs> and so I got into that. Um, I found a few people who had videos, and uh, so I, I saw a few older adventures. Uh, it wasn't until a little after the Fox movie came out that uh, certain things online came, such as Napster and the rest, that uh, I started finding people who basically were putting up older adventures to download, and. Uh, Basically, I just started like looking up all the old shows, and and then I got when Big Finish uh, started doing their audio plays, I got hooked onto them, and I went to their website all the time. Anytime there was a new audio play, immediately like bust out the credit card, get it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it just I, I loved it, and uh, and and started meeting other people who you know this guy had four of the novels, and this guy had five other novels and stuff, and and i love uh, multifaceted universe so i just wanted to see all corners of this and what evolved from what and you know what ideas actually started first in 
the books as opposed to the TV show or, you know, whatever. And yeah, fast forward and, and it's part of what I do now. Yeah, and uh, you got you do one of the uh, the, the those great annotations, um, and I think you've only got what one more left before the the new series starts, right? Right, right. We we put up uh, about a week and a half ago. We put up the Sarah Jane crossover that Matt Smith did, Death of the Doctor, and this week I'm putting up the Christmas Carol, uh, right in time for the new season to begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've I've been loving those. Um, so the, you've been doing a oh, great job you, with those. Yeah. Yeah, I love the I love the Sarah Jane one. I think that was probably my favorite because that was I don't know how much time you put into those, but it shows. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it, it, it's it's definitely something where like I'd never do it all in one sitting because I'll go insane. So like mm-hmm. it, it's definitely something that I, I put aside time. Like I will have like two or three sittings for this episode. Uh you know, Six something like the Pandorica, yeah. Right, it's like the Pandorica, I'm like, I'm gonna put a, a few sessions into this, whereas the Lodger, like, uh, I might be able to take this in one sitting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I and I, I love I love doing them because I love rewatching the episodes, frankly, uh, and and having like a productive excuse to do it. And it's uh, especially with the Sarah Jane one. I mean, that just that touched so many chords. I thought it was so sweet. I actually thought Russell T Davies did a great job writing for Matt Smith. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and it actually made me feel better about some of the things that bothered me about End of Time, uh, mm-hmm. which is always good. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm already started on the. Uh, Christmas Carol and and again it's just fun like looking up trying to trying to remember like okay when did he mention this before isomorphic controls well I know he mentioned it twice at least did he mention it other times and da 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 and where can be, people find those those are on gorillageek.com and uh, if you don't feel like navigating through Gorilla Geek directly uh, or doing a search option I also have on my website kisleruniverse.com uh, under the label Geeky Annotations are links to all the Doctor Who annotations I've done. Oh, nice. Sweet. Nice. All right. Well, um, we are here to discuss the seminal Doctor Who story, uh, The Deadly Assassin. Um, yes. one of the One of the, like, ultimate classic episodes of the entire series run. Um, and so before we do that, uh, of course... Um, as per usual, Matt, what do you have for the lots and lots, I'm sure, of background and significance for this episode? <laughs> um, well, let's see. Uh, Alan, you're also an expert, so uh, feel free to jump in if I miss anything. Sure. Uh, but let's see. Um, Deadly Assassin, um, this is – it's interesting because this is, I think, our second – this is only our second time discussing the Robert Holmes, Philip Hinchcliffe era of Doctor Who, which is the first three seasons of Tom Baker. So it's a Tom Baker story. Um, the most <laughs> – let's see. What's, what's the most important thing this does? I think the most important thing it does is Time Lords. Um, this is the Time Lords story. Um, Time Lords before this, they showed up in War Games, Three Doctors. There were bits and pieces Time Lords and Planet of the Spiders and Terror of the Autons and – right. Oh, Genesis, Genesis. But this is the one where the Time Lords, like, they get uniforms, they get outfits, they get costumes, we get Gallifrey, we get Time Lord Society, we get Red Generations, we get the Eye of Harmony, we get Rassilon, we get uh, the Matrix, which will appear in every Time Lord story after this. Um, So it's most important for that. It's also the return of the Master after the death of Roger Delgado. Mm -hmm. He brought in a a new guy, uh, Peter Pratt, I think. Um, and they brought him in and did something really cool with him. Uh, it's a solo adventure. The doctor does not have a companion in this. Um, he would get 
Leela after this, and this starts right after he leaves Sarah Jane in one of the most heartbreaking companion departures I think there's been. Um, what rips else? me apart. Excuse me? That that goodbye that just rips me apart. Oh, when she's walking away from the TARDIS and she looks like uh, a child. Oh, uh, God. Oh, so good. Oh, oh. What else? What else is important to this? Um, uh, we also meet Car- Car- Barusa for the first time, which I only which I only remember because Barusa is a jerk no matter what incarnation you meet him yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> like he's a, he's a jerk here. He's a jerk when he's the Chancellor, and he's a jerk when he's the Time Lord President. Both times. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm surprised <laughs> when I see the Time Lords who aren't jerks. Frankly, like I just yeah. kind of assume that they're all you know these manipulative jerks. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of douchey a little bit. Um. <laughs> What else? I think that's it. Um, that's just a real big Cliff Notes thing. So we'll go into more detail as we go through it. But um, it's also interesting. I think this is the first story we're talking about um, in our discussions of the old stuff, which, which is written by who I call the great, the late, great Robert Holmes. Um, and I worship at the altar of Robert Holmes. I think personally for me, uh, best Doctor Who writer um, of all time. I mean, people will say Stephen Moffat, and I think Stephen Moffat's really good, but Robert Holmes, dude, like that guy, like if you look at the breadth of material he did, it's just incredible. Um, no, I, Alan, I'd say, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say Robert Holmes definitely has to be up there. I mean, just it's you can always criticize the classic uh, adventures for for certain things such as pacing or God knows budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Holmes, just his adventures always are really solid. Like the mm-hmm. even the parts that lag, just as you're about to complain about it, something exciting does happen, and so you just kind of forgive it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's definitely got that sense of imagination, like yes. uh, talents of Wang Chiang. Like you see your first like time agent, you know, right. Like, He's not – the thing I love about Robert Holmes is I always think of him as, like, a great storyteller, but he's got, like – he's still a nerd. Like, you can tell that he's just a giant geek at heart. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> all, so. all his stories are very much a labor of love. You can tell that. And mm-hmm. and they also all tend to involve something where the doctor actually gets afraid. Yeah. yeah. And which, which, I, which I dig, especially when you have someone like Tom Baker. Like, I mean, he's – it's such, you know, Willy Wonka in space. He, he mm-hmm. He's loving everything. He's taking everything in stride that – you know, when he gets freaked out, when he's like, okay, there's an Egyptian god here, and I don't know that I can stop him, then you really freak out. Mm-hmm. And I I love that he also, like, as we'll see in this, um, and then we'll get to the, we'll be done with the background. Um, I love that Robert Holmes knows how to put his, uh, his doctor through a test. Um, this is one of those. Uh, the other one being Caves, I think, of the, of the two big ones. Like, this one and Caves, I think, more than Talons, more than you know, any other, I think. This one really puts the Doctor to the test of, like, seeing yeah. how, like, pushing him and stuff. Um, yeah. So that's Robert Holmes, and it's really cool. And this <laughs> this story is really expensive looking, um, which is always good. Um, no, it's a no. Great the, the only, yeah, the only other thing I would add on, on the background is this is the first story where we get an, an explanation as to the Doctor's name being a secret or mm-hmm. not being told. Because we have... Uh, the conversation with Goth and, and the Castellan uh, talking about, you know, that he's of, of the Pridonian clan. And if you leave the Pridonian clan, you give up your birthright, your heritage, everything. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a strong implication that means, you know, your your name as well and that you turn your back on that. And then suddenly it becomes clear, like, why the Time Lords, when they're putting the second Doctor on trial, would call him Doctor mm-hmm. and not, you know, whatever his birth name was. Same thing with the Master and the Rani later. 
Yeah. I also I also think it's really interesting that this is the first time we've seen the Master since the Pertwee era, and the last time we'll see the Master until the Keeper of Traken, especially with the ending that we have here that is like essentially a cliffhanger. Yeah. And and we, and the Doctor doesn't come back for or I mean the Master doesn't come back for four years. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. I can't even like as a kid watching this I couldn't even imagine not seeing the Master after that cliffhanger for that long. I mean, it's it's one thing about the classic series. Uh, I point out with the Daleks that the Daleks were like you know such an arch enemy, but it only showed up with the exception of the first few seasons, like every three years. And yeah. it's it's one thing that kind of made them more special during the classic series. Whereas like, and I love the Daleks, but I do think Russell T used them a little too often. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't need to have Daleks in Manhattan for many reasons. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, leave them I mean, out of America. I think. Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, like it, it's something that really hits you with the old series of like, holy crap! You just had this dangling idea of the Masters there, and yeah, we don't see him for years until we find out what he did next, and mm-hmm. and that's just kind of awesome to me, you know. Like, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you can just imagine, like, what if, you know. We had seen uh, the the great regeneration into John's Sim, and then two seasons later, we saw him as Saxon. My brain would explode. <laughs> like what? Like that equivalent of what it would have been. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't even. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Although, like that would make like that's one of the, that's one of my problems with the Keeper of Trocken, though, is like. It's almost like he's been gone for too long. Like he's been gone for four years, and they kind of bring him in with no explanation, and then kind of wasted, sure. in my opinion. Um, sure. But yeah, yeah. So there's background and significance. Let's talk about this. <laughs> All right. So I I want to stay like right off the bat. This is my second time watching this um, because Alan, for if you in case you didn't know, like I'm I'm kind of a newbie to the classic stuff. Um, right. so at least, at least, uh, you know, with my today brain, um, I, I watched a lot of it when I was a kid, but I, I, I don't really remember it. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, 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 the rolling prologue, um, at the beginning, right off, you're just like, oh, this is something special. Um, mm-hmm. which yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I thought, I think that that's kind of a, uh, like a brilliant, uh, way to start this to just right off the bat, make your entire audience, you know, kind of stand up and take notice that this is going to be, you know, a monumental episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it immediately says, you know, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also just sets up, like, this is a Time Lord story. This is not a story where our hero is a Time Lord. This is a Time Lord story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And it's also it's also kind of in the vein of, like, you know, those old school, like, radio serials or not radio serials but like early television serials like buck rogers or something or even star wars homaged it but like mm. the opening crawl it, it very much feels like that and granted this is bef- this is pre-star wars i'm pretty sure, sure. this is like 76 or something um yeah. so we're dealing so like we're dealing with again robert holmes doing something that's really cla- uh, uh, by the way i'd just like to point out anytime i can laud praise on robert holmes it's going to happen so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so know that as we go through it um <laughs> So there you go. There you go. But um, yeah, it's one of those things that it has a very – it gives it a very epic feel like right off the bat mm-hmm. and in a way that like the rest of the season – like I'll, I'll talk about the season as a whole later on in the show. But um, it, it it definitely feels completely different to the point where like the first time I watched it, I was like, what? Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I can I can see the 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 brilliance of of Holmes like all over the structure of this serial because we've talked about um, some of the structures of you know other serials and how you know oh well you could have cut an episode here you know you could have cut this out and that out and this is kind of dragged down too long and this is repetitive but in this every part feels completely different from the one previous mm-hmm. yeah and all builds toward a conclusion that is genius I mean this is just it's the structure of this is just so well done. Mm-hmm. No, I mean every every part is a chapter. It's it's a piece of the story, and and they have the cliffhangers aren't just cliffhangers; they're endpoints and opening up to a new set of circumstances. You know, you've got part one is Doctor's back, and part two is oh crap, Doctor's on trial. Part three is the Matrix, and <laughs> uh, and then part four is you know what do we do now? Here's the real threat. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think is really strong about this. Like, if you look through it, like, most stories, and I'm not the first person to say this, but I know I've heard it very recently, but, like, most stories will go through, like, a part one will just be, stuff happens, stuff happens, stuff happens, whoa, cliffhanger! This is nothing like that. This is, like, like there's, like, the doctor lands on Gallifrey, he's suddenly attacked, and then all of a sudden he's like, I have to stop the president from being assassinated. And it's very specifically going through the story, very structurally saying, the doctor's trying to stop the president from being assassinated assassinated going up to that cliffhanger which is of the president being assassinated and it's like you know you can watch something like spearhead from space and spearhead from space is very specifically like who are the mystery people okay the second time is like oh these are the autons the third time is about the autons guns and the fourth time is about the autons attacking like this is very much like that and i think that it's to Holmes's credit that the like he was easy, like again he's the, easily the best of the classic writers but mostly because he just knows how the structure goes and he plays with it like constantly in this to right. the cliffhanger, which to me is one of the best of the Tom Baker years. If you ask me like that first episode cliffhanger, like you get to it and you're just like, what happened? Oh no. You know, just like, Oh yeah. gosh. And it's resolved so well. Mm-hmm. Um, also I haven't, I haven't seen much of this TARDIS interior, but mm-hmm. seriously, good God, it's beautiful. And like, Oh, I love that. one. Why, why do they move on to that? Like clinical interior, like water in later damage. seasons. Yep. Water Ugh. damage. That, that set got horribly water damaged. And so you have, uh, one of the adventures, Leela, uh, walks into a control room that is much more like the old, older ones and the clinical ones. And she's just like, where are we? And he's like, Oh, this is the secondary control room. Uh, you know, I had the charge TARDIS redecorate it and, and they just move on. It's uh, only around for this season, but like every time they go in this place, it's really good. It's like, it's gorgeous. Oh, there's yeah. just so much character and it's, mm-hmm. just, Oh God. It's actually and it's... the, when he, when he finds it with Sarah Jane, he reveals that that's actually the primary control room that the, mm-hmm. the other control room that the first three doctors have been using is one of the secondary control rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And, and it's it's the, I think the only my it's like my one problem with Talons of Wen Chang is they never gave this a nice send off because um, the last you see it is in Robots of Death where he's explaining t- to Leela how the TARDIS works. Um, but oh, it's so gorgeous! It's like the wooden. Whenever I talk about Gothic TARDIS, I always talk about this one, not the Paul McGann one. But oh, right. it's it's so good looking. And it and it fits in like when you watch it, you're just like, okay, this is it's one of those things where like Philip Hinchcliffe, the producer, has such a specific vision of the show. And like this TARDIS just screams that vision in a way that no one ever played with the TARDIS control room before or after this. And it's such a shame. 
And it, it puts shame. you more into mind of, you know, this is not this is not Star Trek. This is a bohemian adventurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is some bohemian alien. And so his ship looks like like it could be, you know, a back room of a museum or the drawing room of some gentleman's club or something like it's mm-hmm. just this kind of chill little corner with uh, multicolored windows. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's so good looking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful. I re- like, I, I was, I was so happy that he spent a majority of part one inside the TARDIS just because I didn't want him to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. It is it's, so it's, pretty. <laughs> it's, it's super, it's super gorgeous. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I've, I, I, you know, you brought up the Palm again uh, interior, and you know, I, I can see the other than like obviously the um, spatial differences. I can see like a lot of similarities in the design uh, between yeah. the two. But, but yeah, the, his his is much more Wellesian, whereas this is more of a, a Gothic Tardis. But um, man, I love both of those Tardises. There's just so much character. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, they look like a living space. Right, exactly, exactly, which I, I, I really – I want the TARDIS to look like that. Which yeah. is interesting because I, I was reading some person at some point. It might have been the Radio Free Scarrow daily – semi-daily blog of like going one episode at a time. But like someone was saying that um, the 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 old whitewashed TARDIS room works really well in black and white. But once you put it into a color context, slap some J&T in there, it just becomes not as pretty. But this like – this throws up like every sort of like – color palette and it just it yeah. looks so good on television in the ways that the other ones just kind of don't um, right mm-hmm. right well i mean it it's i think it absolutely works in black and white because you know who knows what color those walls are it's just a strange place they're hanging out in and and even though it was you know clinical looking you at least had some little bits of character like you had a strange easy chair and uh the hat rack and you know it's the ceiling the ceiling, you know, you kind of got away with it. Whereas, you know, you get into J&T uh, and it now looks like a spaceship and it's clearly a travel machine, but it's less, uh, it's less homey. It's less palatable that the doctor lives here or calls it mm-hmm. a home, you know? Yeah. You'll have a hat rack, but the hat rack just doesn't fit in with the rest of everything. It just looks right. like he brought in and there's right. no other like decorating furniture or anything. It's very stark. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I want to I want to talk about uh, the master in this um, mm-hmm. because um, Matt, this is your seminal master story for you. For me, opinion. this is this is probably my favorite master story. It's this or the season three finale of the new series um, because I think that one's actually really good minus one flaw. Um, but this, I love the master in this. I think this is. Again, Robert Holmes, because he knows how to write a good bad guy. Like, his master is so good. He's so smart and cunning, but also really evil. Like, really evil. And he's like, he looks like a rotting corpse. And I call him the gooey master because he looks gooey. Um, But um, I I love what Robert Holmes does with him here. Um, And I love when you see him and you kind of don't know who it is. And the doctor's like, you slowly kind of realize that it's the master. But, like, this perverse like burnt out master who's literally burned through his regeneration so fast that now he's back on Gallifrey and he's just angry. And the only thing that keeps him alive is like his hatred of the doctor and yeah. like, Oh God. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, I, I absolutely think this is um, certainly the most powerful master story of the classic series. I mean that yes. there, there are other really entertaining ones. I really like the claws of access. I, I enjoy um, mm-hmm. the demons, uh, mm-hmm. 
but I mean, those almost have uh, more more mundane plots in terms of the stakes. Like those mm-hmm. adventures could have been done by other villains, uh, mm-hmm. and, the, and they just have to be plots made by the master. And here it's like he is willing to essentially rip open a black hole and tear apart the planet of his home people and and his own race and commit genocide of all these people whose job it is to maintain time and order just so he can live longer. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just like, I love it. I, I just love that, like, you know, callous disregard for his entire race. Like, he's just... It doesn't matter that he's, he's going to, you know, corrupt this Eye of Harmony. Like, I will live longer. I will be immortal. Screw you all. And whatever happens to the universe as a result. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's interesting, you know, to point out that this is the first time that, you know, this that has been the Master's uh, plot. And yet, after this point, that's normally what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Is it's him chasing more lives? Um, right, right. He, he but to, snake, to lesser degree, robot. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right, he instantly um, becomes a body thief. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And that's it's not like. And one of the things that's interesting, like you compare this to something like that comes later, uh, which is like if you look at the master's motivation here, like his motivation is not just to like kill all the time lords, but to humiliate the time lords, humiliate the doctor, kill the doctor, do all this. All this sort of stuff. But, like, if you compare something like this to, like, something like, say, The Mark of the Ronnie, which I'm not a huge fan of, it's because the master in that is so pantomime. He's like, I just want to kill the doctor. I just want to kill the doctor. I just want to kill the doctor. Right. And it's like, it's it's not as interesting. The master has never been more interesting than he is here. Um, especially, like, you know, part four where he just – he literally just puts himself into a coma just to get away so that he can, like, just shoot people. It's like, right. oh, it's it's great. It's just great. Yeah, like every well, because there's also there's a cold calculation behind everything. It's it's a cold hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Mark of the Ronnie, he he seems very impulsive. Mm-hmm. So it it you know we we're not as afraid I think of people who just kind of act on an impulse, even if they are full of hatred and stuff. You know, it's 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 a little more chaotic. Whereas this, you know, he has a plan, and he has other plans for when people screw up those plans. Right. He's always got an exit route. It's great. Yeah. It's also interesting that, you know, seeing this doctor in this, you can see the obvious progression from the Delgado master to Peter Pratt's, whereas mm-hmm. from Peter Pratt to Anthony Anley, eh, not so much. <laughs> maybe maybe from Anthony Anley to Eric Roberts, that I can see. But... <laughs> yeah, the, the master does seem to get a little more uh, jokey and flamboyant with, with each body he takes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not this one, though. Not this one. <laughs> no, th- this one was just, you know, I'm sick of this and I'm taking you all down. <laughs> I love, I just love that, you know, that single-minded purpose. Uh, I mean, it's, it's honestly, it, it brings, this master is appealing to me in the same way the Daleks are appealing, in that there's no reasoning with this. Mm-hmm. You, there's no bargaining. There's nothing that you can say rationally to reach this person and convince them otherwise. Like, they have this purpose and you will be destroyed in the process, and that's really as simple as it is. It's kind of like the operative in uh, Serenity to just cross those those uh, shows, um, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Which is again one of the best like villains in the past ten years. Like just yeah. straight up, there's never been a, in my opinion, there's not been a better villain. And like he, except for maybe the Joker in the Dark Knight, but like. <laughs> 
just him. Um, th- but like the operative, like you can't reason with him and he's just, he believes and he's convicted and like the master here is just, he, he gets it and he buys it. And he's just like, he's like, you know what, goth, you failed me tough. And he just leaves him. It's like, it's so cold. Yeah. It's so yeah. callous. Uh, and, and and again, it's like you know what, what the Daleks have that that really made them scary was people were associating them with Nazis, and mm-hmm. it's you know we are afraid of that crazy rationale. You know, there's a reason why shows like Criminal Minds start getting popular and then get a spinoff of like you know yet more Criminal Minds just because serial killers <laughs> and and that that warped mentality of just a kind of religious purpose is you know how do you fight that? How do you fight when a worldview that this person has come up with that justifies all this. You know, you really can't. You just have to, like, outsmart them or take them down somehow. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to talk about um, one of my only uh, kind of nitpicks about this episode, um, about the serial, which is that the Time Lords in this, they look very alien, but they kind of don't act all that alien um Mm -hmm. like i feel like the doctor himself is almost an alien compared to them like i like at a lot of points during this i don't it doesn't ever really feel like the doctor is truly from this planet with these people um and there's just little there's little things like while it's goofy and fun and I, i and i liked the doctor's commentary during it but the the whole presidential news report was a little silly um, mm-hmm. And a little too human, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there were a lot of moments uh, on the planet where the Time Lords didn't really act like the alien adversaries that they were in the war games, um, mm-hmm. where those those Time Lords truly felt like, you know, they were coming from a different planet, and you, you know, you were getting all of this information about this alien race that the Doctor comes from. Um, here, they did they really just kind of felt. Um, human, and I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily uh, Holmes' fault, like the script's fault, or or maybe it's the actors. Like they didn't know what they were, what they wanted to do, or maybe the director wasn't totally sure, um, you know, how to play this aspect. But for me, that was one of the things that kind of um, stuck out for me, and and it was. E- I mean, it's easily ignored, but it was still something that I was like, eh. Well, actually, that that stuck out for a lot of people, and there were a lot of fans who, when this came out. Uh... As far as they were concerned, this is this was a point where the show kind of jumped the shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, that it made to their minds um, the Time Lords were now basically Britain on another planet, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with with houses and chapters and, and lords and such. Um, I mean, on the other and then there were other fans, and I, I agree. The TV report is probably the weirdest thing about it, and and it only like makes some kind of sense when you when you realize like time lords are the noble classes of gallifrey they are not all of gallifrey um Mm -hmm. and uh and especially like if if you start looking at you know other books or the audios they talk about that there are other time travel powers out there uh Mm -hmm. other time travel races so it it sort of makes a little sense there but it you know you don't get that information within the context of this adventure and you know, it's it, it would be different if it were, you know, some holographic projection or something that had a little more majesty. But really, you have a guy who looks like he's got a microphone talking to a camera mm-hmm. and and is doing, you know, the CBS World Report. Uh, so I, I can I can totally see how that that comes off a little funky. 
the doctor's behavior against them in general, I mean, I think it's one thing to, uh, to remember, like, the doctor is, you know, a rogue and a renegade of these people and someone who never quite fit in by his own admission. Mm-hmm. So, so that actually made sense to me that you know these these guys are all. Uh, Anthony Stewart Head had the best quote about it, like dusty old senators, mm-hmm. uh, you know, compared to this bohemian adventurer who, you know, he was a grandfather and still decided, you know what, I'm going to steal a TARDIS from a repair shop and just leave. Mm-hmm. 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 I think I think um, from my thing, I don't mind it. Um, I think that it's one of those things that is more pronounced in other stories. Um, I think it's more pronounced in the invasion of time, which is even more mundane. Um, right. Because those that like those, uh, they're nothing like these people. Like this, this to me, I, I agree. I think that like I agree in the sense that um, the the war <laughs> the time lords and the war games are jerks. Um, but that's also because they're shrouded in mystery. And you show the time lords here. Like what I like about it is is. Holmes makes an effort to show something that is seemingly utopian, but is far from it. Um, and I think that it's one of my problems because I'm not the hugest of Tom Baker fans. I think he's good, as I've said on many other podcasts. Um, but I think that his interpretation as an alien stands out, especially when he's with the Time Lords, because he's nothing like them. Um, which, you know, I get, it fits in with the idea that the doctor is an alien and doesn't really fit in anywhere, which I do subscribe to, but at the same time, like, uh, it doesn't really fit with the time lords themselves. Um, and I understand why he leaves, but like, it doesn't, you know, it, it's, it leaves in the interpretations idea that he's being an alien for the sake of being an alien, which is fine, but I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> well, well, I mean, like one one thing on that note to keep in mind with Tom Baker is, you know, Tom Baker, and part of it was how he regenerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the other Time Lord Ken Post said, you know, this this version will be a little more erratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas when you see the Second Doctor and later the Sixth Doctor with the Time Lords and even the Fifth, yeah, Peter Davison, mm-hmm. they all seem to fit in a little bit more. They're still not people who subscribe to the Time Lord. Uh, mentality, but you can see them that they're part of the same community. And right. and Tom Baker, like you know, he was he was an eccentric version of the Doctor, uh, mm-hmm. which stands out. One another thing is also like the War Games. We're kind of seeing that from a very limited perspective, like almost only from Jamie and and Vicky's perspective. Uh, Victoria's uh, no Zoe, sorry. Zoe. I'm sorry, Victoria had left already. Hey, happens. My bad. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, we're seeing it from their perspective, and they're doing this official trial. And they've kind of got their game face on that whole time. Whereas here, mm-hmm. we're seeing the Doctor sneak in through the back door, literally. And and we're seeing behind the scenes, you know, people, you know, before they put on their robes and ridiculous headpieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's that's me. I think that's, that's kind of where I come with it. Um, you are much better with the words than I am. Um, the, the, the scene where the doctor steals the robes from the two guys, I think is really, is really a good one. Um, I think, cause you know, I, I personally, I'm of the opinion and this is my thing and I'm probably going to be wrong about this, but like, you know, what do people do in their off time? And like this, this really shows that and it shows like the back door dealings that are going 
with all these people. Like you see uh, Barusa say, no, we're going to lie about this and right. all these sort of corrupting things that I think is really interesting. Something that Holmes again touches up on in trial of a time Lord. Um, but like, I don't know. I don't, I don't mind it. I think I mind it more when they're poorly written. I don't mind because they're really well written here. Um, right. Cause it's Holmes. But like, if you compare the time Lords here to something like, invasion of time or arc of infinity like oh god those guys are awful and like yeah. one of the things that russell t davies said in the writer's tale was like he killed off the time lords because every time he went to gallifrey it was mad boring um and i don't think he's wrong he's he's wrong about this but that's because robert holmes um but like god arc of infinity is awful <laughs> it's so boring and like no, it, it is and it's, oh. it's really sad especially when you're gonna use someone like omega um mm -hmm. how can you just yeah i mean it's it's also a thing where you know again the the sparing usage makes them more important but once mm -hmm. and, and even with like genesis the daleks terror of the autons having a single time lord appear for you know a minute and a half can be very effective. But if you keep going back to the planet, if you keep showing what manipulative jerks they are, then they do start becoming just another alien race mm -hmm. uh, with maybe fancier technology. And, mm -hmm. Silly you know, clothes. it's... Yeah. Here, yeah. Here, here's a question. Do we ever get to see, uh, like, you know, regular Gallifreyans, like non-Time Lord Gallifreyans? Yes. Invasion yeah, in an Invasion of Time, um, we, God, we that's do see... A mess. Yeah, yeah. It had it has nice little moments, uh, but on the whole it just doesn't really work and um yeah. it's a shame. But yeah, in in the invasion of time we see like outsiders, uh and a couple of common folk who who are definitely not of the noble Time Lord houses and have not had the training where you would earn the title of Time Lord. And mm -hmm. and some of the outsiders are really, you know, former Time Lords who are basically ousted and told, you know, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm Okay. Okay, because I'm just wondering what the what the comparison between the two between you know Time Lords and Gallifreyans would be like. Not much. Oh. I mean, it's it's basically noble uh, birth uh, yeah. is the implication from from a few of the adventures, and mm -hmm. and I mean technically Susan, because the the idea was you know you you go to the academy, and uh, once you graduate, then you are now a Lord of Time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so technically Susan is not a time Lord cause she never completed her training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, I guess another thing that we should probably, uh, talk about since it takes up an entire episode, um, would be the matrix. Uh, this, this of course <sighs> being, this of course being, uh, 30 years prior to the film. <laughs> that would, not just not just thirty years prior to the film, but like the idea of people going into computers and um having an adventure in computers, like that's Tron and that's Neuromancer, if you know books, uh Tron being a movie, Neuromancer being a book. And those didn't show up until the very early eighties, like nineteen eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. Yeah. And this is seventy six. About then, yeah. So Doctor Who rules? Um, <laughs> <laughs> which like granted it's it's what they're talking about like i can't even imagine watching this in 1976 or 77 or whenever this aired and just being like what is going on right now this is crazy like what they're talking about is i don't even know how he came up with this like honest to god i don't even know like it's jesus like 
<laughs> and I mean, what, I, what I love about it is that it actually holds up today just as much, because even though now we have movies like The Matrix and Tron and Tron Legacy, you know, we, we've overdone at this point. I went into a computer and there's another world, you know. I mean, there was, there was that reboot cartoon years back. Uh, <laughs> so we all, we all have that. But this still takes it a step further in that it's not just a computer matrix. It's like it's made up of collected memories of dead Time Lords. Mm-hmm. And it just takes it again to that cosmic level of like, this is not something that humans could build. This is a Time Lord device. This is on a mm-hmm. whole another level. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that, that, you know, 30, 40 years later, that's still such a bizarre concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, one of the things I just, I, I put this in the notes because, Good God, that was one scary ass clown. <laughs> that was terrifying. That was that was a terrifying clown. I, clown it has nothing dentist. on that clown. <laughs> it's like that. That's really when it's just like, okay, there are kids watching this. What are kids terrified of? Yeah. yeah. Oh God. As an adult, I think I was more terrified by the giant needle, but um, of the yeah. Of the, oh God. The clown. Oh. <laughs> The night, the level of nightmare in this Matrix is unparalleled. Like the samurai who cuts off the scarf, Tom Baker, like the the fall that he takes after getting his scarf sliced, like oh my god, I don't know how they did that. Like I mean, honestly, oh, oh, jeez. Yeah, my my girlfriend is a bit afraid of clowns and she hates needles. And when I showed her this for the first time, like a couple <laughs> years ago, she just freaked out. <laughs> totally blamed me as if I had written the episode. Like, how can you show me this? We well, you know, like, look, it's it's the, it's not me. It's the master and God. Yeah. Like, I, I can't control that. Um, I love I the thing that like I I wasn't actually a huge fan of this story the first time I watched it. Um, and then I had to watch it again. And the more I watch it, the more I get out of it. But like, the the third episode alone is incredible the hunting sequence is great like watching the doctor like i'm against the doctor using violence which is one of the reasons why i'm not huge on the seeds of doom um like i think it's really great but like there's some stuff in that that i'm like i question you um but in this like this is like the level to which goth as the hunter pushes the doctor in this episode is incredible like and when the doctor like shoots him with that with that tainted dart or whatever yeah like i'm just like good on you good on you like i was i was proud of him and i was like i was like and it's 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 interesting how far they push the doctor in this story because they really 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 do um and that that wrestling fight in the in the swamp is crazy like that's a brutal fight even yeah, that got them in trouble with, with <laughs> oh. all the all the parent groups and and mary uh just like you're scaring kids this is too violent for a family program like yeah yeah, the, awesome. specifically that shot of like the doctor under the water, like drowning. Yeah, like, that was that was a little too much in their opinion. <laughs> right. I, I I see what they're saying. In fact, I do think that to certain children, it's too far. Um, I think that the level, like, because cause Holmes and Hinchcliffe were going for like I think ten, eleven, twelve year olds at this point. Um, right. was not you know what Doctor Who had been. Um, so I think that ten, eleven, twelve year olds could handle this, but like. Come on, like this is—it's not super awful. I've certainly seen worse in Doctor Who. Like Vengeance on Pharos, every five minutes of that is much worse than this. Oh yeah, um, you've you got people being thrown to acid baths in Vengeance on Pharos. Uh, 
But but I mean, like I'm I, I'm also usually of the opinion, you know, uh, is there actually like blood or gore being shown? No, like okay, like I think kids. I mean, you know, I was a kid watching Thundercats and and Indiana Jones, <laughs> and you know, you you got excited by the violence, like oh man, are they gonna make it? Well, whatever, you know. I didn't actually get freaked out unless there's something like gory or extremely bloody. And Doctor Who, once again, even in this uh, violent sequence, really avoids bloodshed. Mm-hmm. And the only time it's there is like is just to show you the stakes. It's never like you know squibs exploding and stuff. Like you see the Doctor bloodied in his like his leg gets bloodied and then he heals right. it and then he comes back. But like that's just that's just stakes. It's not like hyper violence or whatever. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, even in part four, when he gets out of the water, his shirt is in tatters, but there's no blood at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's just funny that, that parent groups will have, throw a fit about this in the seventies. And then, you know, in the nineties, those, those, you know, the, the kids of those parents become the parent groups that threw a fit about the Power Rangers because they have sparks coming off the front of their chest. Like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, sparks are incredibly violent. <laughs> sparks are the most violent of all violences. So just so we're all on the same page. Uh, but but yeah, it's just it's just funny. Like parent groups are just funny. The things that they, they pick to get upset about. But um but yeah the the Matrix episode is is really interesting because it sort of it has its own plot within the plot of a whole, you know, yes. even more so than the other three parts that all sort of link together. Whereas right. part three is kind of its own adventure within the grander adventure. And I think that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you could have had that, you know, shown that episode and just told someone, okay, the doctors landed on some jungle and someone's hunting him. Watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it could have been its own, little mini adventure and, and it just it just it it increases again the stakes and the sense of this kind of epic grandeur you know that there are more environments than just one that's being visited oh and the trains i forgot about the trains oh, oh the, trains, the trains you got the freaking plane with the gun oh. coming down like the plane with the gun you know that takes you back to the whole like north by northwest terror oh. of you know, where do you hide oh it's so good oh i love robert holmes <laughs> Sorry. The other thing that I would mention from the Matrix episode is that one of the few scenes that takes place out of the Matrix when the Master sends the um, the Chancellery Guard to um, to to shut down the Doctor. And I love the bit where where he, he like walks in and he sees the valve and he touches the valve or he tries to touch it and the Castellan like pushes him away and he goes down and he gets up and the Castellan just pulls out a gun and shoots him for no explanation or reason. Yeah. Like. I- <laughs> <laughs> I love that the castle is just so trigger happy, and he's just like, "Hey!" And he just shoots him. <laughs> he just wants to be like the brigadier. <laughs> oh God, yes. <laughs> I uh, I'm also I'm not particularly familiar with the what is apparently the master's calling card in this episode, which is like killing people and then shrinking them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, killing I, them by shrinking them. Okay, okay. I I didn't I. That was not a thing I was aware of going into this because apparently the few master stories I've seen, they don't uh, use that plot device, I guess. I mean, it was in Legopolis. It was in Legopolis. It's in Legopolis, and it's in the very first master adventure, actually, uh, Terror mm-hmm. of the Autons. It's it's a tissue compression device that mm-hmm. he came up with because it's an incredibly painful but kind of fun way of killing people because you don't have to worry about where do I hide the body in mm-hmm. the same way. 
And it, it basically, it's, it's a device that looked like his own version of the sonic screwdriver and would zap a person and cause them to shrink. But because your organs can't function after a certain size, like basically you're being squeezed to death. And it's just this horrible, painful way of dying as you're shrunken down to like a doll's size. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I just thought it was funny when the, the, the time Lord like pulls out the, uh, pulls that out, whatever he was pulling out in that tube, like the, right. the gun. And then like, he sees the thing and then he faints. Uh, that was right. just, that was, that, that this was is, really funny. It's, it's again, like a little difference of, of how you present it. Cause like in terror of the autons, when the master first uses it, they just use like a, a green screen to show that it was clearly the victim, but now shrunk down. And mm-hmm. in in this and in Legopolis, they just use a doll. So it, it's <laughs> it's just like what the master turned them into dolls. <laughs> he just really loves Barbie. He just didn't get to pick up his his accessories. Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing. Yeah. Well, he does I come think... for the Pertwee era. <laughs> Pertwee true, loves true. his accessories and his other true. outfits. <laughs> Um, it's, it's actually that scene, the, the one that with the doll that you see the, the little shrunken dude that has the Eric Idol character. I always equate him with Eric Idol, the reporter dude, um, for, cause I've watched a little too much Monty Python where he's been like the journalist guy. Um, right. I always, I always remember the part where he walks out into the middle of the panopticon and just collapses. And there's like that, like broken off spear in the back, in his back. And it's like kind of grisly. And then you have like, everyone just kind of look at each other, like. Uh, and then you just smash cut to the Castellan talking like five minutes later, um, yeah. <laughs> because I just, I think it's funny, but like, it's one of those things where it's like, I love again, the master in this, like, I love that the master's like just a shadow presence throughout the first three episodes. And then by the time you get to the fourth one, you get like the big confrontation between the doctor and the master. And like through the first three episodes, the master's just running around setting things in the motion as like a shadow. Like you never get a good look at him until like he's alone in the cave. Under, underneath he's really the, the master at his best. Oh yes. Oh yes. And, and, and Russell T. Davis knew that by, mm-hmm. by having the whole vote Saxon uh, yeah. running theme. I mean that, this is a guy who, you know, he has hypnosis, he's incredibly smart, and he can think on levels human beings can't. Why does he need to take the risk of acting directly when he can just mm-hmm. cause agents to do this for him? And It's one of the things that makes him uh, very fun, along with the fact that, you know, again, as John Sims points out, he usually doesn't let the doctor know what his plans are. He kind of enjoys challenging the doctor to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the best, the best master is always like the Moriarty character. Like even in Planet of Fire, which I think is probably my favorite alien master story. Like in that, like he's just running around as chameleon. Like he's stuck in the in his TARDIS the whole time, um, in some greatness. Um, but like I, again, the, yeah, you're right. The best master is the unseen master, and like I love that he's just not in this. Like he, you can feel him. You can feel him all right. over it, but he's not seen. It's just brilliant. No, I, I, I do. I and it also it also makes sense when, you know, in this case he kind of has to be unseen because, you know, he looks like Skeletor. Uh <laughs> like he's he's just on his last literally, literally just clinging to life. Uh which I think is, is a wonderful idea and, and a wonderful visual for it. Um I mean mm-hmm. back when I was when I was younger doing some Doctor Who fan fiction, this was the version of the master I, I loved using just because it's like you know, this this is a monster. This is such an inhuman creature, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and a boogeyman, really. Yeah, and they, I, again, they haven't. They've never. Like, I love the Dalgado Master, but like Ainley ultimately suffers from being a rehash of that, unfortunately. Um, yeah, they like, shouldn't have made him look the same. A huge mistake. Huge mistake. Um, they should have not even tried to be Delgado. Like, just create your own master. Like, this to me is – it's either this or, like, suit-wearing master from um, John Sim uh, because I think suit-wearing master, you know, it fits in with kind of, like, that particular ethos. But this – like, it's just such a good visual representation of the era and the tone and the feel that they're going for. And, oh, we haven't even talked about the organ music. I love organ music in Doctor Who. <laughs> every time, every time the organ music shows up, I'm just like, I'm Little on board. Pyramids of Mars. Oh god, that organ music's so good. Oh, yeah. it's so perfect. I love the way the organ music struck up when um, I forget the character's name, but when when the Time Lord character like um, you know walks in and then he has like that staff in his back. Um, oh, Renzo and it's and it's just it just erupts and it's like yeah. it's 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 huge epic music and then just like. Snap your fingers, they cut to the next scene, it's just done. Like, it's like mid-note. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I loved that abrupt ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the only other thing that we have left to talk about, um, unless you guys think of other things, besides the awesome dialogue that's going on, um, is uh, the finale, the big epic Doctor fight um, mm-hmm. between the Doctor and the Master, which I love every time. Yeah, and and fighting over the Eye of Harmony, Rassilon Star. Like, I mean, this is also the first time we really got uh, information on Rassilon, mm-hmm. which which is another huge thing. I mean, like he he was the first Time Lord, essentially. Like, thanks to thanks to Omega's sacrifice and everything, and mm-hmm. and uh, he had a very strong presence in uh, some of the comic strip adventures where where his kind of Matrix ghosts would meet up with Peter Davison's doctor. And then he had a, a big presence in some of the eighth doctor audios, uh, again, as like this matrix ghost. And, and, uh, I mean, it's, it just adds to this whole grandeur, you know, it's not just, okay, here's some weird crystal that they're fighting in front of or something like this is the eye of harmony. This is the sole, uh, power source of all the TARDIS powers. Like, mm-hmm the planet is erupting around them. Like, I love it. I love that There's like literally an earthquake happening. Like the, the planet is shaking in their fight. You know, it brings mm-hmm. a whole clash of the Titans aspect to it. Right. Yeah. And it just feels mythic and epic. And it feels like, you know, like the, the doctor says in the story, like this is the final showdown between me and the master. And like, you know, if the master never showed up after this, um, I would be sad, but I'd be satisfied because like, it's just, huge in scale like it's just massive and the final fight like again it's it's silly in the way that classic doctor who is silly and they are doing the best that they can but like it just feels big like yeah. it feels big because it's just it's a couple of lights there's a giant you know obelisk and the yeah. ground is shaking but it's it just feels really big i'm youtubing it by the way so uh youtube's gonna be on the site comments under this post um yeah i, I mean you more but yeah. You've got their you've got their yelling at each other, you've got the music, you've you've got, you know, and everything is built up to this. Like they've again Holmes has done a wonderful job because he's been building up to this. He didn't start off with, you know, here's an obelisk, now fight. You know, he's brought you through all these trials to bring you to this moment and this is it. Mm-hmm. And this was the master's plan all along. Like this is what it was leading to. Like it's it's perfect. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love I love the final part. Um and I think that this was one of the first stories where I started to um I stopped watching these stories and being like, oh man, these look so cheesy and and it'd be like and, and thinking about them in terms of uh, you know, wouldn't it be wouldn't it have been great if they could have done this or they'd had the budget to do this or yada mm-hmm. yada and just started seeing the stories as stories mm-hmm. and judging them on that. Um and, and sort of like you know, using my imagination to like build what they were trying, the the point they were trying to get across with their right. very mm-hmm. limited budget. Um, and and sure. it, and that final um part, that part four of this is the I think the story that made me start to do that because I was so wrapped up um in what was going on that you know I didn't really care about the budget anymore. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, I mean this this also. With a lot of the older shows, like I started, I got to a point where I just didn't worry about the budget anymore because what I was just viewing it as kind of stage, like yeah. these are almost stage plays and they just haven't be filmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, you know, Doctor Who did have stage plays later, but yeah, but I mean, you know, a great stage play, like again, it's it's creating the atmosphere so that even though you can clearly see this person is on wires or you know this is a person in a mask. They've created this atmosphere and they bring you into the character's head so much that it doesn't matter if you logically know this isn't real. Like the character, in for him, this is real and you're with the character. And that's the thing, like you're with the doctor in this moment. Like you're with him through these trials. You're with him at this moment of holy crap, the master's going to do this. And he doesn't even realize he's not going to succeed because the sash is slashed and da 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 da. Like you're, you're totally with him on this journey. Mm-hmm. It's very much like you go with the spirit of what's going on. Like you know, you can watch the Daleks and like everything in the original like Dalek serial is just a set. Um, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago at this point, dear God. Um, but it's just like it's just about the spirit of the thing. And like like Holmes is trying to tell a story that is just you know big and sweeping and epic, and it and it works despite the fact that you know it's taking place on one set and there's some rubble falling and it's styrofoam, but who cares? Because it's so powerful. It's got heart and soul, and they're doing their best. And it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't matter because it just it works. It just it just works. And then, as know? a great counterpoint, the doctor does not get any praise at the end. <laughs> he gets he gets a that's great, dude. Let's just get out of here. Go. Yeah, go. it's like we are not going to tell anyone what you did. It's a little inconvenient for us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know? Bruce is such a jerk. Every time you see him, he's such yeah. a jerk. At the same time, though, like, again, it emphasizes, like, well, no wonder he left. No, yes. no wonder the doctor decided, screw these people. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, that also, final thing, I guess, for me, um, is the clock, the Master's TARDIS, um, because it's totally in episode one, and if you're not looking for it, you won't see it. But when right. the doctor gets transducted into the museum, like if you look in the corner, the master's TARDIS is there, which I think is a great, great touch. And then at the very end, when the doctor looks and he sees the clock, and he's like, "I'm not going to deal with it," and he gets in the TARDIS and flies away. I love that. I love it. <laughs> I think it's so strong um, and so good um, because it just it 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 tells you a lot about the doctor and like how he's like. We'll fight another fight, and it's okay. Um, it's it's good. I like that. Um, I just wanted to point that out because I point things out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I I do really like that. Um, and this is, 
Um, out of all the ones that that I've seen, um, this is definitely up there as far as my favorite actual like Tom Baker story. Not not you know. Um, I, I mean, like, not not as a story for Tom Baker, but like of the ones that I've seen of like of him, of him. yeah, like just right. a story on its own, a doctor story. Um, I think mm-hmm. this is definitely one of my favorites that he's been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the best showcase of him, but it was. It, I mean, it's just an excellent right. episode. He's also a lot more serious in this adventure than he is with uh, some others, so you don't get quite the classic. Uh, Tom Baker mannerisms. There's no offering of jelly babies to the Time Lords. You know, there, there's there's some of that missing, but that makes sense because of the context of the story. He's he's back at his home planet. He does not want to be here in the first place. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you know things keep getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, how awesome would it have been to have him eating jelly be- babies in a scene, and the doctor, the the Time Lords ask him what it is, and he goes, "They're jelly babies. You can't have any." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he does that later, though. He does that in Invasion of Time. He definitely gives them Jelly Babies in Invasion of Time. That's right, he does. That's right, he does. But <laughs> I also just remembered uh, now, also, this is the first story that names the CIA. Oh, God, I love that. Celestial love Intervention that. Agency, the Time Lord Black Ops, which then, <laughs> retroactively, that becomes, you know, the, the Time Lord in Black who sent the Doctor to the Genesis of the Daleks, and mm-hmm. and the uh, the Time Lord... Who was telling off, uh, you know, presumably the president or one of the presidential council, like in the three doctors? Yeah, we'll obey the first law of time later. Like, <laughs> we need to do this. It's like, okay, clearly CIA. Mm-hmm. Is that the agency that uh, the second doctor supposedly worked for, like after the end of the right. war games? Yeah, right. supposedly that season six B is like he's working for them. Um, I love, I love how I love how cheeky it is when they're like celestial intervention agency, always getting involved in things, and like you know this is in the middle of like the CIA in the seventies and the sixties when you know the CIA was doing all sorts of all manner of illegal things, and right. I love that they just it's just a swipe, like it's just and, like I can't resist, right? And he says that you know front at the trial, he he became uh, an agent for them, so it's like that's where you get. You know, mm-hmm. the untold Second Doctor adventures, that's where you get the Doctor being doctors. forced on missions afterwards, mm-hmm. after his exile. And, uh, in fact, the uh, the novel World Game by Terrence Dix mm-hmm. takes place directly, like, at the end of the trial and shows the Doctor making the deal with the CIA mm-hmm. uh, and going on a few missions for for them. And it's it's a pretty good book. It's It's very well done. Second Doctor, you know, showing off his stuff and, and being forced with a Time Lord companion who's basically his chaperone. You just made me sad I have a zero novel toli- not zero novel policy. Um <laughs> so I have I have no I have no novel policy because like for me it's all about the actors. That's why I do audio plays. Um but uh, now I might need to break some, that. Some of the some of the novels, like the novels are give or take for me. Uh yeah. on the audio doctor, plays. Yeah, I, I, I put the audio plays higher um and and to me like the audio plays like are if anything comes in terms of canon like i will absolutely dismiss a novel that goes against an audio play just because the audio plays actually have the guys you know and and many of the writers uh so that to me it's like that's that's official to me um Mm -hmm. that's what the eighth doctor did after the movie is the audio plays uh especially because the eighth doctor novels suck um and because charlie's awesome Charlie's amazing. I have such a crush on Charlie. Uh, 
but uh, but but you know, I there is several uh, novels that I, I think are really good and really give a whole new understanding to some stuff. There's one great novel um, I was actually just rereading this weekend, Face of the Enemy, which is the brigadier having to deal with the master while the third doctor's away. Ooh. And, and it's very interesting. It involves uh, going back to the parallel world seen in Inferno. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. You just killed it. Now I have to break the policy, dude. You suck. You suck so much. I hate you. You're never uh, invited back. You are never invited back. Story. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Uh, it's written uh, by McKinty, who also wrote um, The Dark Path, which is supposedly like the master becoming the master. And. Uh, Okay, that's the one I want to read. <laughs> oh, good. And and it explains Eric Roberts' rep- uh, remark of, you know, I've wasted all my lives because of you, Doctor. Like, the end of uh, Dark Path kind of puts the Master in a situation where you realize if he's going to escape what the Doctor's put him in, he's going to have to die a few times in the process. Wow. God damn it. Yeah. Oh, there- <laughs> There are some bad books out there, but there are also oh, some that, good ones. Yeah, yeah. I, I, imagine, I imagine most of them being fairly throwaway. Much in the way that, like, you know, the audio plays are oh, – we're so tangenting off of Deadly Assassin. But, like, the audio plays, <laughs> like, I find about two-thirds of them are good. A third of them – a third of those are really good. Like, the past year of audio plays has been obscene. Like They really stepped up. I, oh, I my God. Okay, Legend of the Cybermen. Yes. Oh, yes. genius. Yeah. Holy God. Like, holy God. Oh, my God. I That's... never thought I would see The Mind Robber have a sequel and would work. Holy yeah. crap. Holy no. crap. That's that's McCoy at his best. Oh. Oh. Wonderful. Death in the Family. Oh, my God. Death in the Family, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> death in the Family. Uh, the Klein. Uh, oh, the, the Klein. Family. Oh, my God. The Return of the Mara. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, that was so good. And the DVD yeah. commentary specials, one-off ep- Oh my god. It's been yeah. ridiculous this past year. It's I, I've been really happy and and I and I love all the Eighth Doctor adventures. I mean, one or two, yeah, they're duds, you know, that's inevitable. He's, he's but... Season 3. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you finish by the way? I we were talking on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Did you finish? I I'm like uh two adventures behind on the Eighth Doctor. And I really oh need to get into gear. Uh, oh my God. I've just oh. I've been so busy, and and then I was going to listen to them last week, and then I actually wound up going to the premiere of the new Doctor Who season. Uh, shush, shush. No, I won't shush. say anything about that. We have I, talked. We have talked off mic. Me and Scott are just like we hate him. We should not. Have him <laughs> <on>. <laughs> We're just like shut up, stop yeah. it. <laughs> I no, I hate that. I have no one really. I have only like three people to talk to about it who who were there with me because it's just like. It's it's really good. Stephen Moffat has cemented his his place in my heart, and uh, yeah, and, and finally, finally, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful stuff, and I can't. I was there was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of screaming of what? Uh, just going off, or just like ah, it's it's wonderful stuff, and I can't wait for everyone else to see it uh, soon. Wait six days, and I'll be all over Twitter, man. <laughs> I guess I guess the one depressing part for, of of that for, of seeing it early for you is that you know you don't have those two weeks of new episodes now. 
Yeah, oh I have to because because there are things that happen, and as I'm like, I I need to know what happens next, and and I've just been stuck in this limbo, which is going to be lasting for four weeks now because you've, it's a two parter. So you know you've got next week's episode and then the following part, and then finally I will get a new episode, hopefully giving me some more answers. I'm sorry uh, the caviar tasted so good, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, it's, uh, it was, it was a good time though, too. It was, it was really wonderful. And, uh, Steve Moffat and, and the whole cast were very nice during the q Yeah, that's, so. that's lovely. That's great. Okay. Let's wrap up now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, um... I will say just on, on one thing I've met Karen Gillen, I think twice. Yeah. Twice now, not like personally, but like been in the same room for interviews or whatever. And both times I've wound up making some lewd sexual remark, which, thank God, she has found charming and funny. And it's, it's becoming like an ongoing joke with a friend of mine. Like, are you just going to, like, do it until she thinks you're a jerk? Like, I don't know. It just happens. Well, until she thinks you're a jerk or she thinks it's charming. Yeah. So. <laughs> she so far seems to think I'm charming. Like, I might have audibly meowed at her one time, but she found, found that very funny. Dear so God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, Alan, uh, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me uh, mainly every Friday. I do my column, Agent of Style, which uh, I jokingly call superhero fashion, but it's picking a character each week and going through their visual evolution over the years or decades. Mm -hmm. uh, KisslerUniverse.com is regu regularly updated with things I do for many websites. And Twitter, at Sizzler Kissler, uh, I'm constantly on there, so people can constantly, you know, ask me questions or ask me what's going on next. Uh, I update that anytime I put up a new article, like I just did on Newsrama, my response to the New York Times being stupid and saying that girls don't like it. Um, yeah, I was I was very proud of that little angry response. I normally don't respond angrily to other people's pieces, but this one I'm just like, you're dumb. And yeah. I need something. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think I know what this is in reference to. Oh The New York Times did a did a review of Game of Thrones where they kinda said, uh this <laughs> no girl's gonna be interested in Game of Thrones. It wasn't um, a review. That, that, let's first... Oh, it wasn't a review? It's, it's, it's a very small tangent. It was supposed to be a review, but uh, if you read it, she she mentions that she's talking about games, Game of Thrones, and she just saw it, and then she doesn't talk about the characters, she doesn't talk about the plot points, she doesn't talk about the actors, or who's directing it. She just starts talking about that this is a really bizarre show where... It's too intelligent for anyone who might have liked Sex in the City. And, oh. and yeah, yeah. And then she goes on that this is also boy fiction, which has had sex added to it to attract women who wouldn't otherwise watch it. And there's there's also a quote at one point saying, you know, if you're of the Dungeons and Dragons aesthetic, you might enjoy this. But if you're nearly anyone else in the world, you'll wait for HBO to get back to essentially more serious things that don't have complicated names and, and, you know, places that don't exist. And it was just this, I mean, it's supposed to be a review. If you don't like it, fine, but talk about the show. And instead she basically made it this blog post. Genia Belafonte is her name. Made it this whole blog post basically about 
I don't like fantasy, and I know all women don't like fantasy either. Mm. And and the idea that you know sex was added into a show to attract the women, I found kind of hilarious. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, because men, you know, as a whole, don't like shows with sex. Like, we, no way, we have... dude. We're we're straight madmen people. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> that show has no sex. It's just... And certainly the fact that the books already had a large amount of sex in them had nothing to do with the fact of why the show does. You know, it's so I got angry and, and grabbed some whiskey in my laptop and <laughs> I posted up on Newsarama. It's still there. Uh, Newsarama.com should be in the main headlines. It's an op ed piece that says, hey, New York Times, geek girls do exist. And it's just my little response to her. And and the, this whole attitude that was just ridiculous to me, and and especially mm-hmm. like you know when we have still people who kind of give some girls crap for liking what they consider boy things, and like Star Wars Katie months ago, the first grader who got in tears because boys in her first grade class were making fun of her for having a Star Wars thermos, and it's just like you know this is. It's bad enough when kids do it. When some adult writing for the New York Times kind of adopts the same attitude, like, screw you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, then uh, you wrote the right thing, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah. You, everyone feel free to go read it, and then feel free to write to the New York Times and complain about her. Wow, that's awful. Man. <laughs> um, I can't even believe that got published, honestly. I can had to remove the comment section because so many people were writing angry, angry responses. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Rightfully so. Um, all right. Well, uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope that you'll uh, you'll come back. Um, I would love to come back. Sure. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. All right. If he's not um, carted away by the cops first. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the price of New York. No, no we're going to be in a, in a chase scene now where a chicken truck stops us from reaching the master. It'll be very exciting. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's go to there. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, the next, uh, you know, what, what do you want to be on next? Another seminal episode or another or like a goofy fun one? Uh, you know, I, I'll leave that to be dealer's choice. I, I'm kind okay. of all over the place. Like, you know, I, I, I love the seminal episodes and, and I also love the ones where it's just, you know, Tom Baker threatening someone with a jelly baby or, uh, you know, just some, some of, some of the ones I do find a little painful. So <laughs> we'll bring you on for uh, underworld. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hey, let's talk about the Happiness Patrol. Oh God, I actually <laughs> like the Happiness Patrol. Thank you I, very much. I have much. A big feelings with the Happiness Patrol. There are some things I think are wonderful, and some things just like why? Why did this get past the planning stage? Why? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll find one and we'll bring you back for sure. For sure. Good deal. For sure. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank Alan. you. All right. So again, I just want to thank uh, Alan Kistler for uh, stopping by and being part of the show this week. He was a great guest. I hope you guys um, were all entertained by what is a phenomenal and seminal Doctor Who story, uh, The Deadly Assassin. And if you haven't watched it yet, shame on you. For yeah, shame. Yeah, go do it. What's wrong? We yeah. warned you last week. We warned you. <laughs> um, I, I do want to remind you that... Um, we're also sponsored by by Summit City Comic Con, uh, which is held in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on Saturday, June 18th. 
Uh, Summit City Comic Con is a comic convention held by our friends at InStock Trades and DCBS, and it's a one-day convention with guests that include Sean McKeever, Mike Norton, Jason Howard, Katie Cook, Steve Bryant, Ian Brill, and I will be there promoting Geek Show Entertainment as well as my new webcomic uh, that will be launching very, very soon. Tickets are only $10, which you can, be on the, you can buy on the website at summitcitycomiccon.com or the day of the show. Um, so thanks to them, and I really hope to uh, see some of you there. So uh, drop by and, and come hang out. We'll, uh, we'll go get beers after. Yes, you're drinking. buying. Yeah, not you, yes. but the other person will buy. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, that seems fair. Yeah. Exactly. I get all. The, exactly. I, I get all the beers. Yeah. I get all you the grace beers. them with your presence, and then they will grace you with <laughs> beer. <laughs> you're just now. It, it wasn't enough that you were talking yourself up <laughs> at the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? What can I say? No. Uh, oh man. Okay. Well. Um. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to be on here for seven weeks. By the time I show up again, no one's going to remember. <laughs> Watch that totally. It's not like these podcasts will exist forever. Oh god, that's gonna bite me. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of the internet, uh, where can people find you on said uh, internet? Uh, well, you can find me at twitter dot com uh, or Twitter, I guess, because it's not really dot coms anymore. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, uh, gungadin, m g u n g a d i n, um, and I'll still be there. And you can hear all my. Matt Smith talk, I guess, while I'm there. Um, you can also find me at Classical Gallifrey, which is a blog I do. Um, I'm constantly, I'm still going to be updating it despite the new series, so you're going to be there missing out if you're not seeing. Uh, this past week, I did The Abominable Snowman, which was a trout and reconstruction, which was uh, kind of interesting. Um, I had like 200-something screen caps for that, uh, which was a nightmare. Um normally I have like a hundred, but this was like 200 and I couldn't handle it. Um, this week I'm going back to, it's actually interesting that we're talking about the deadly assassin. Cause uh, we're going back to the, to the same season, but the first story of the season, uh, it's a Renaissance story and it's called the mask of Mandragora, which is the first featuring that Gothic TARDIS where they actually find that, uh, that Gothic TARDIS control room. Uh, and it's, uh, it's so, so a... pretty. I know it's so gorgeous, and it's still good in the first appearance too. Um, it's a it's a great story, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to to seeing what comes out of that. Um, that does not mean that I've written it at all. Um, <laughs> so so look for that. Look for other stuff. Um, I know I have a Davison review coming up, and all through the month of May, and some into June. And when we come back, I'll you know I'll still be there until it's done. Golly. Um, you can find me at geekshowentertainment.com, of course, on my other podcasts, uh, Geek Show Soundcheck. Um, last week we talked about, uh, we had a spotlight on a band called M83, and this week we're doing another spotlight episode on the band They Might Be Giants, um, and then uh, after that we're getting back to another four weeks of new music, um, so that, that that's I'm definitely looking forward to that. I've got all my picks. I'm very excited about them. Um also, uh, I do a show called Movie Night at Geek Show, which is, uh, you know, where we review, um, a movie each week. Uh, there's three hosts, uh, myself, John Pavlich, and, uh, normally Nick Jimenez, though filling in for Nick, for Nick Jimenez for the foreseeable future is, uh, Matt Smith. Hi, Matt. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I guess I could do that. Sure. <laughs> well, you already are, so. Uh, I, yeah. True. <laughs> Um, so if you uh, if you want more Matt Smith, that's where you can go during the break, um, during the. Doctor Honestly, Who break. why would you want more? Let's be honest. Come on. 
Now he's trying to be humble. <laughs> he's trying I'm to win everybody bipolar. back. I'm very the... bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, Movie Night at Geek Show. Uh, this week we'll we'll actually be having um, two episodes. Uh, one for the good, the bad, and the ugly, which was supposed to be last week, but we just could not schedule it. Um, and then a hard day's night, which is our listener pick uh, for this month. And it's um, yeah. I'll be watching it soon. I'll be watching it soon. I'm yeah. sure I'll have thoughts. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I, I still have to shave my chest from all the hair that grew from watching Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Like, honestly, <laughs> I'm like a hairy mess up on my chest right now. So, there it is. <laughs> well, that'll happen. That'll happen yeah. with that movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hard Day's Night. I hear, I hear that it's a legitimately really good film. Netflix claims I'll give it like 4.8 or something like that. Wow. So... Yeah, yeah, and the Netflix wow. gods are rarely wrong. Yeah, they're they're pretty smart, especially when you you know when you've done as much like movie and TV rating as you and I have. Like, it's... yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I you know that's that's high praise from Netflix. So here's hoping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course you can find me at uh, twitter.com/slash Scott Corelli if you want to follow me on Twitter. And then I'm also on uh, slash Scott Commentary, which is where I live tweet um, a film from time to time. I haven't done it very often lately but you should do one of your doctor have no homeworks time. on scott commentary mm, good I call know. good call i know good call i'm good i'll yeah. be doing that i'll be doing that maybe i'll do all of them oh i would love that yeah i think i will actually good call so yeah if you want to hear me uh talk about uh you know uh classic doctor stuff while the matt smith is going on then there you go scott commentary um, so yeah, check that out. And then, uh, of course, um, Geekin' This Week uh, doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> every time. It's so funny. I'm not joking. <laughs> I legit laugh every time we mention that it's over. Uh, not because um, I hate it, because it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, well. Um, yeah, Geekin' uh, is not on this week. But uh, premiering June 1st is The Geek Show with Scott and Matt. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And, uh, Matt, you had a surprise, yes? I do have a surprise. Um, well, as you know, if you've been listening for the past uh, couple weeks, uh, we've been doing a contest, uh, like a little sweepstakes, I guess, for if you leave a review for us on iTunes, uh, we wanted five reviews, um, for the show, um, and then I would buy you an audio play if you won. Um, well, we didn't get five, we got four, uh, and there were four very good ones, I enjoyed all of them, especially the one that slammed me. Um, that was actually, actually really funny. Um, although my girlfriend didn't get it because she hadn't listened to the episode yet, which was funny. Um, so she was like, I don't think that guy was being kind to you. And I read it, I was like, no, he was. Um, so, um, I'm, so, sorry, I got distracted by the thought of people bashing me on the internet, which I seem to not mind. Um, yet. Uh, so, we got four, and I feel it's not fair to the people who left the reviews and, you know, did a good job, because they were all so good, that I, um, I actually just now randomly selected, uh, of the four people who left reviews, um, I, I, I picked one. Um, and that winner actually is, uh, Marie17, who left a lovely review. Um, so, Marie17, if you're out there, email us, uh, and we'll get into contact about how to get you your audio play, um, which you rightly deserve. And if you want a f- uh, to still enter, the contest will still go on, but it won't come back. I won't announce a winner until uh, 
we come back. But I felt I felt bad, so we'll take. I guess we'll take another two or three more reviews, maybe one or two or three more reviews. And if we if we get some, and when we come back, uh, I'll buy you a second audio play. Uh, and why don't the people we, who are why already don't we entered. Just... Why don't we just say, like, you know, enter, like, as many people can enter as they want, because we want more reviews, so not one or two, just as many people, and then of the new people, and the people who, have already uh, who didn't win this one, this round, all those people will be put into a new raffle when we come okay. back. Right on, right on. So leave a review, yeah. you're going to be entered, you're probably got a good chance of winning, because uh, this one in four, it's not bad odds. Um, so, so leave a review, uh, doesn't have to be super long, just... Something that says how you think we're doing. We like five stars, but they don't have to be five stars. Uh, and you'll be entered into win an audio play. Uh, Although, let's 17... be honest. If you give us anything less than five stars and you win, you will feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know you will. You know. Yeah. So you might so, as well just give us five stars. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I have a lead pipe in my hand. Um, don't know what it means. <laughs> it's just there. Um, so, Marie 17 you win. Get into contact with us. Email us. Tell us, you, tell us it's you. Uh, we'll have a verification process, which won't take very long, uh, because it's hard to find out how you are, who you are on, the, on uh, iTunes. But I have a way, because I'm clever or something. Um, and uh, we'll we'll get you your audio play of your choosing. And uh, when we come back, I'll tell you what you chose, so that you all can know uh, and enjoy. Um, so there you go. That's that's who wins, Marie Seventeen. Congratulations. Very proud of you. And uh, thanks to people who left reviews, because I'm I'm very excited to hear more. So yeah, there you go. All right, Matt. The podcast will miss you. Uh, for the seven I, I weeks you'll so. be gone. I hope so. But, but Matt Smith will continue in spirit. Yes. <laughs> Next week, the impossible astronaut. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, indeed. I can't wait. Uh. I cannot wait. Yeah, so next week Randy will will uh, make his return to the to the show as uh, co-host, and um, we'll be talking about New Who for seven weeks. Yay! I'm so excited. That's the only reason that you guys could get rid of me on this podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and, and oh, in the off oh, season, oh. I'll be. Well, what, so, what? What? Sorry, I I forgot. I was gonna list what ne- our next five stories are. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go for um, it. Our next five when stories. We when we come back. Um, so in June, uh, in early June, we're going to come back with five stories. We're going to come back with, uh, a Pertwee story called The Curse of Peladin, which is, oh my god, so good. It's one of my absolute all-time favorites, because uh, I like to come back strong. Uh, The War Machines, which is a Hartnell story, which has not aged well. Um, a Tenth Doctor story called The Idiot's Lantern, which I'm sure you've all seen. Um, god, I'm not crazy about that one. I don't no, know. no, it's not, it's not good. Um, Terror of the Zygons, which is a legendary Tom Baker story, um, featuring the Brigadier and others, which should be cool. Uh, and then we're finally, Scott's going to breathe a sigh of relief. We're coming back to some more Davis and we're going to do four. Thanks God. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have this sometime in yeah, sometime in July we'll get the four to doomsday going. So that's our next five stories. So go ahead, try and find them, watch them come back we'll be talking about the curse of paladin the war machines the idiot's lantern terror of the zygons for to doomsday and many more awesome fun things to come yay fun things i like fun things Mm-hmm. yeah speaking of fun things the impossible astronaut next week um i will talk to you next week guys uh matt will not but he'll be there <laughs> yeah, in spirit be... in the form of someone completely different yeah and I'll also be on Movie Night. So if you, if you love me, go listen to Movie Night, for God's sake. <laughs> uh. 
No, no, uh, seriously. All right, guys. It, we'll, it'll uh... be cool, pumped, excitement, impossible astronaut. Yes. <laughs> yes, impossible astronaut next week. All right, guys. See you.